0: You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Hawley, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that design skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. We are on a fast track to surpass a 1.5 degrees Celsius global temperature increase that will have catastrophic implications on our way of life, increasing natural disasters and hazards to human health and our livelihoods. That was one of the biggest takeaways from the recent UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC report, which is being called a code red for climate change. And following that report, the call for companies to step up to the plate and dramatically cut their carbon and greenhouse gas emissions has really increased. And this is partly because companies have been far too passive in the fight against climate change, with, by most accounts, less than 50% of companies committing to reducing their emissions. It's really, it's enough to have people feel hopeless for the future of our planet, but there is cause for optimism, and we're hoping to bring a little bit of that to you on today's episode. There are tangible solutions underfoot, models of true transformation that are gaining ground. Today I speak to Stephen Clark, who is the Senior Director of Climate and Energy at Ceres, which is a Boston-based nonprofit that has been working for decades to make sustainability a priority for companies across the nation. We discussed the scale of the challenge, the industries and companies that are stepping up and the people power needed to make it happen. I will admit to being one of the people that has been struggling to find hope, given the depth of the challenge of climate change. But by the end of this conversation, I was convinced that we have a path to a more sustainable future. We just need to act quickly and in collaboration. Welcome, Stephen, to the show. So great to have you here.
1: Thanks, Danielle. Great pleasure.
0: Not to start off on a dour note, but (laughs) to start off on a dour note, I wanted to just start with the context and the headlines that we just saw from the IPCC report on climate change that said global warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius and 2 degrees Celsius will be exceeded during the 21st century unless deep reductions in carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions occur in the coming decade. And that we can reduce this if we limit human induced global warming to specific level requirements, including CO2 emissions reaching at least net zero CO2 emissions along with strong reductions in other greenhouse gas emissions. So pretty stark headlines, and there's been a big, what is the private sector going to do about this question and response? Because we know that emissions are centered in industry and business, but I was just reading... um, Last week, Just Capital released a report that said only 42.8% of companies have committed to reducing emissions. And that's just reducing emissions. It's not even necessarily to the levels that we need. So give us a sense of um, your work, your role, how, how you think about the private sector's role in these pretty dire... Mandates that we've got right now.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the um, the the IPCC report and 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 how sort of um, challenging a situation it, it it sort of laid out very clearly um, with some of the best science on the planet in terms of how rapidly the climate is changing mm-hmm. and the fact that we can actually the science has advanced so much that we can now um, um, link more directly um, excessive weather or unusual and extreme weather events um, uh, to climate. Um, so the science is improving and we now know that some of the very extreme wildfires, um, hurricanes, um, uh, droughts and other very um, extreme and unusual weather events that were seen um, throughout uh, the United States and, and the planet um, are directly linked to the fact that the planet is is warming, and and it's warming fast. Um, as you mentioned, we um, we we could we could well exceed one point five degrees, which the IPCC laid out three years ago as a critical threshold in terms of the point of no return when it comes to the catastrophic catastrophic consequences of climate change. Um, you know, the private sector has to play a leading role. The um, majority of emissions do come from Uh, companies and across a slew of different sectors. Ceres um, has been engaged in working very closely with these sectors for decades, both through investors and as well as directly with with companies, some of the the leading companies by market cap and also by greenhouse gas emissions um, in the U.S. economy. And the silver lining is we have seen an uptick and a steady increase in the numbers of companies that are committing to act on climate. you know. So for example, just six years ago, there were not any companies that had committed to science-based uh, targets. So these are greenhouse gas emission targets that are aligned with um, the Paris Accord. Fast forward to 2021, and we're fast approaching nearly 2,000 companies that have either committed, um, that have either set a science-based target or have committed to setting a science-based target. So this is, this is great progress. We're seeing um, significant increases in the amount of renewable energy that companies are, are, are purchasing or committing to exclusively use to, for electricity. There are more companies investing in energy efficiency and electric vehicles. But to your, to your point and, and to the analysis that you quoted, we, we've also conducted some similar analysis of the 650 largest publicly traded companies in the U.S., and while there, there are increasing amounts of companies that are making these commitments and that um and, and even in the past year that have committed to net zero by 2050 or sooner, there's still a lot of work to do in terms of moving that other, you know, almost 50% of companies um, that either have no goals at all or have very weak goals. We also think as we're getting closer to 2030, that more those companies that have made commitments it's very important for them to start acting on those commitments. So really starting to put in place the renewable energy, energy efficiency, electric vehicle, and other procedures that they're looking to use to decarbonize by 2050 or sooner. Um, So we're calling the next sort of eight and a half years um, a critical moment in terms of time for action for companies.
0: And what do you think is going to make them act, right? I mean, as you stated, this is... It's, it's a very stark stating of the consequences and where we're at now, but it's not new information. And it it seems like it has been in the vernacular, and in the headlines for a really long time, and now companies are starting to act. But what do you think is going to turn the tides here?
1: Yeah, great question.
0: I think, you know, I
1: think it'll be a combination of four things uh, that come to mind. One, is what you just mentioned about the IPCC report. So I think, you know, the, the, the physical risk of climate change is, it's no longer something that's 10, 20, you know, 30 years out. It's it's happening as we speak. So the physical assets of these companies are at greater risk. And I think that's 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 providing an incentive for companies to act now and not sort of kick the can down the road at some future time when climate change will happen. You know, the science... And these events, you know, some like like the recent um, rain event in New York, or the the heat dome in the Pacific Northwest, and many others, pose a a significant threat to physical assets um, right now. Another key piece uh, that I think is increasingly pushing companies back to act are investors. So you know, series we we've, we've worked with many of the largest um, institutional investors in in the country. And the vast majority of them, um, um, even according to some recent polling data that we've seen, acknowledge the fact that the climate poses a significant risk to their investments in the scale of trillions of dollars, um, and they're they're increasingly looking to move companies to set commitments and also to act as well. And so we've you know we've we've played a key role on initiatives like the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, where 128 asset managers. Managing it combined, forty-three trillion dollars um, have committed to achieve net-zero emissions across their portfolios um, by 2050 or sooner, and are also calling on companies um, to set interim 2030 targets. There's also the Paris-aligned investment initiative, which is, includes 40 investors with combined assets under um, 2.35 trillion in management. They're also looking to achieve net-zero emissions across their portfolios in the same time frame. So the investors are a very powerful force and their their we series works very closely with them to move companies to to set these commitments and then very quickly the other two pieces that i think are also accelerating action one is policy so we've seen a significant change in um, the federal policy landscape the the new administration has announced a slew of policies um, that will help accelerate the adoption of clean energy um, and reduce emissions, especially in the power and transportation sectors and then lastly, I think consumers are increasingly calling for this as well so we we've seen uh, we've seen companies responding to consumer pressure for products that are low emitting or or use less electricity and uh, it's really inspiring to see the the slew of new products that um, some of these major companies are are releasing that will help consumers reduce their their greenhouse gas emissions and lower their, their carbon footprints. So I think those four key forces will help accelerate change in the near future.
0: So bring us into the work that you do day to day and how you got here. These are big challenges you're talking about right we're almost we're, we're almost shifting the Titanic here <laughs> we're talking about you know changing the the private the private sector's behavior and emissions and and doing that in collaboration in a lot of ways would love to hear what brings you to this work and what you do day to day
1: yeah thanks I I think it really stems from the a sort of lifelong, just sort of enjoyment, reverence and passion for the natural world and the outdoors. I didn't have to put all the blame with my parents. Um they were um sort of uh, ardent um outdoors types and both spent a lot of time themselves outdoors and my mother's family is actually from Tanzania and lives in a very rural part of the country. So that's where I was actually born. So we we just, you know, the natural world was just such an integral part of how people lived basically in terms of everything from agriculture to spirituality. And, and I think that's influenced me throughout my career. I, I, I worked in architecture for a bit, um, uh, focusing on green design, um, but, but became increasingly interested in markets and policy and, um, so shifted and I, um, in my most recent work, I worked, um, as assistant secretary in Massachusetts for energy, where I was responsible for our renewable energy policies and, um, climate, uh, climate, uh, plan as well. Um, just incredible experience, um, there working for then governor Deval Patrick and then shifted again to, to work more focused on, uh, the private sector and working to move companies and, uh, capital markets. And that sort of interest stemmed from my work with the state where we had a firsthand view as to um, how important companies are in terms of catalyzing broader societal change, especially on the climate front. Um, So here at Ceres, I've been really focused on all of our work that's been zeroed in on um, moving companies in particular to make commitments and to take action to reduce their emissions. Um, So I initially led our Commit to Climate initiative. And that's really focused on commitments. And most recently, we just launched our Ambition 2030 initiative, which is really focused on decarbonizing the six leading emitting sectors in uh, the U.S. economy. Um, so the power sector, transportation, oil and gas, food and agriculture, steel and banking. Those six sectors account for 80 plus percent of all greenhouse gas emissions, both in the U.S. and and across the planet. And Ceres has worked extensively in those sectors for a long time. We've got great subject matter expertise, networks, and, uh, and a track record of, of results in those sectors. And with this 2030 milestone approaching very fast, um, we think it's incredibly critical for those sectors to get on the path to decarbonization. ASAP, reduce emissions by fifty to fifty-two percent in the next eight and a half years, and decarbonize by twenty forty. So we're we're gearing up on this on this latest body of work, and um, it's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to seeing how we can continue to deepen our work with these sectors and um, help these sectors figure out ways to eliminate greenhouse gas emissions.
0: What do you think are the biggest barriers to doing that? And also so in the you you noted. The power industry is the top. I imagine it, with with oil and gas specifically within the power sector, it is clear what is challenging, right? That their core business model is being challenged. But for for businesses in other sectors that aren't necessarily creating products that are inherently damaging <laughs> to climate change, um, what what is it? What are what are the biggest barriers that companies are facing right now? And are you seeing bright spots in terms of transformation? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I think there are two, there, there are sort of, I, I would actually say there are three sort of key challenges that come to mind or groups of challenges um, that arise. And, and, and it is encouraging. We are seeing some progress on all fronts, but, you know, technology is sort of the, the first one. Um and and this applies to all all six of those sectors. They all face unique technology challenges that we're hoping with um increased research and development um, or deployment of pilot technologies that exist now, um and in some cases just expanding existing technologies, um expanding the adoption of these existing technologies can help each of those six sectors reduce emissions. So, for example, one of the key challenges in the steel sector is generating heat process of, of steel production. And while some companies are adopting electric arc furnaces um, that can help reduce emissions if, if that electricity is coming from renewable energy, that, that adoption could be scaled up significantly. And that doesn't cover the entire problem. There's still other components of the process where, one needs to develop and then adopt new technologies to to make steel production emission free. Um, so that's one example. In the power sector, electricity storage is is another challenge, a technology challenge that there there are some there are quite a few pilot projects now that are demonstrating um, some storage technologies that are near um, cost competitiveness and could be scaled up in adoption. Um, so that's another exciting area where we're seeing good progress. And then another quick example is on the transportation front, where um, the transportation sector actually um, surpassed the power sector a couple of years ago as the leading sector for emissions. It accounts for about 29% of all emissions and um, are and predicted to, to increase without significant changes. Electric vehicles um, are a solution for that sector that could quickly reduce emissions in the transportation sector. Um, so we've been working through a variety of different platforms to, to accelerate the um, supply of electric vehicles and help companies reduce emissions from their transportation fleets in particular. So technology is one area that's incredibly important. And um, all of those sectors need significant changes in technology to advance. One other area that's very important as well is disclosure. A lot of companies are are having challenges with, number one, calculating their emissions and understanding what their greenhouse gas emission accounting looks like. And a lot more companies could benefit by disclosing those emissions so that it's easier for them to develop what we call transition plans that would help them decarbonize. Um, So disclosure is absolutely essential. And we're seeing increasing amounts of companies do this. Investors are calling on companies to disclose more, but um, there's still room for, for improvement for companies. And then very quickly, the last category where we see challenges, but also opportunities is around scope three emissions, which usually account for the vast majority of a company's greenhouse cash emissions. We've got some leading companies that are doing a good job of calculating their scope three emissions and understanding how they can tackle these emissions. But there's significant work that remains to be done in terms of um, just accounting for the scope three emissions. And then um, figuring out ways in which to reduce Scope three emissions. So I think those are three buckets, three categories where we see the greatest challenges, but also the greatest amount of promise and opportunity for companies.
0: And are there are, is there anything that we've learned over the past year and a half that that makes this more possible or less? Right? Like I, when I think about one of the things that COVID taught us in general, humanity, but certainly the United States, as um, a country that likes to do everything all the time, (laughs) (laughs) better, uh, more, is that we actually a fundamental change to our lifestyle is actually possible. And it's possible overnight. And we overnight stopped flying to what now feel like unnecessary meetings to be in person. And when you talk about the transportation industry and carbon emissions, I imagine air travel is a significant portion of that, right? So are there things that you are seeing, our learnings, our recalibrations or transformations that we have learned from COVID that might help our footprint?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, very compelling point. Um, that you've just made in terms of um, our capacity to adapt. I think that's been one of the the greatest silver linings with COVID. We've seen companies that have actually done well uh, during COVID because of that capacity to adapt and um, identify new opportunities in a very fast-changing marketplace. Uh, And we we anticipate the same. We've seen the same on the climate front as well. We've seen companies and economies for that matter that have continued to grow even while keeping emissions level or even with reductions in emissions so i think a great example is new england we've seen you know emissions drop not only during covid but um, for quite some time due to some very progressive policies regional policies as well as policies at the state level and those economies have continued to grow, have been some of the most robust economies in the country in terms of economic growth, but have seen emissions uh, drop from certain key sectors, which is very encouraging. Um, so it sends the signal that there there have been some criticism about sort of uh, efforts to address climate change, that they'll, to job losses or economic losses. But we've seen in many examples, companies um, can continue to be profitable and actually utilize um, climate change as a business opportunity and continue to grow while they um, reduce emissions. So that's that's very encouraging. I think another key item that's come out of um, this moment with COVID is, and I think this is very encouraging as well, I think there's an increase, we've seen an increasing sort of awareness and recognition amongst uh, companies and investors that the justice and equity component onto um, all this work is integral to, to all of it. So it's not ancillary. It's not something to address, you know, sort of after the fact or as, as sort of an add-on issue. But I think, you know, COVID, the timing in terms of COVID happening with the tragic death of George Floyd last year, we've seen just a very encouraging shift amongst companies that acknowledge racial justice and equity is an absolutely integral component to addressing the climate issue. And um, companies are actively looking for ways in which they can address historically marginalized communities, communities that haven't had equal access to renewable energy, electric vehicle charging infrastructure, communities that are at greater risk from climate change, and really looking for ways in which they can address some of these longstanding discrepancies. So I think that's very encouraging as well.
0: A large part of what you're saying is a similarity with COVID, right? Where we know that these crises disproportionately impact communities of color and low-income communities and that they are often the communities that are suffering the most and have the fewest resources provided to them to sustain the changes that are happening. And so I would be curious how you think about that at CERES as you're advising companies and sustainability professionals how is equity baked into your work
1: yeah we it's something that um, we integrate into all of our convenings um, with investors our key partners as well as in engagements with companies Um, we try to bring as much expertise to bear on on the issue as possible so um, bringing in experts who have deep expertise and, and background with environmental justice issues, issues around siting um, power plants or, or other heavy industry facilities, and ensuring that when we ask companies to act when it comes to to climate, that um, they also consider and and include these issues as, as absolutely uh, pivotal to, to the action plans that they create uh, to address climate. So, so one of the key things that Ambition 2030 is very focused on is um, what we're calling transition plans. So, we think it's important for a company to make a commitment, um, but then once that company makes a commitment, um, given how time-sensitive climate change or climate emergency is, we're asking and investors are asking um, companies to create detailed transition plans. These plans lay out the strategies and tactics that a company will use to reduce emissions and the schedule. That the company plans on using to make sure that they do it in a timely fashion. In addition to climate, um, we're also asking companies to integrate justice and equity into these transition plans as well. So, for example, if a company is going to phase out, you know, sort of a uh, certain number of um, fossil fuel plants, we're asking companies to consider how does that affect um, communities that are at risk, communities of color, what are the labor implications? Um, What are the higher implications? How can we ensure that companies that are expanding um, certain departments that deal with um, climate change, making sure that that is a diverse and inclusive process? So whenever possible, we try to integrate, we ask companies to integrate these issues into these transition plans and ensure that they're dealing with both climate and racial justice and equity and inclusion together as as a unified, um, in a unified strategy.
0: Well, and as you're talking, and one of the places that my mind always goes with these enormous challenges that companies are trying to help tackle are how does it actually work inside, right? And sustainability, like corporate social responsibility and like philanthropy, have existed historically in Departments and departments that are traditionally pretty under resourced for the mandates that they have, right within these large companies, and not considered—they're almost considered a cost center, right? Um, but the the perspectives and the talents and the expertise and the strategies that you're talking about need to needing to be deployed within companies require this to be part of the business and to for it to be really well resourced and for it to be something that permeates across the different departments across the different areas of the business are you are you seeing a shift there are you seeing this actually resourced within the the talent and the expertise that companies have to achieve some of these mandates they're setting
1: yeah no it's it's uh, it's a great point and we we are seeing an increase, um, a significant increase in demand for the expertise, especially uh, accounting for greenhouse gas emissions um, and um, scope three in particular, big spike um, in demand uh, for that coincides with the increasing amounts of companies that are making these commitments um, frequently in response to investor pressure or or, or pressure from other stakeholders. So. Uh, that's encouraging um, on one hand, we're hopeful that the labor supply will eventually catch up with the demand because we are hearing from companies that it it's it's been quite hard to find that that skill set. Um, we're also seeing companies that are increasingly engaging their supply chains to reduce emissions and um, as they as they embark in, in these engagements with with their supply chains, uh, to your point, it does entail, a broadening of, um, climate expertise across, um, several departments. Um, so for example, for some of the, the companies, um, in our, we, we have a program called the Corporate Electric Vehicle Alliance, which is focused on aggregating demand for electric vehicles, especially medium and heavy duty trucks. And, and in some of these, many of the companies in what we call SIVA for short have large fleets. Um, and traditionally those 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 um, fleet managers and the, the fleet departments have been very separate from the sustainability departments that are that are focused on um, uh, uh, sort of a greenhouse gas accounting or or other sustainability issues. But now as increasing amounts of these companies in Siva are committing to expanding their use of electric vehicles, um, we've seen a significant um, um, integration and increased, collaboration across those departments. We're also seeing it on the utility side as well, where where utilities are looking to expand um, EV infrastructure. There's an increased demand for talent that not only understands how does your traditional um, electricity grid work, you know, so your, your electrical engineers and, and other, uh, other talent on that side, but folks who also understand electric vehicles and how they affect the grid. Um, and how that infrastructure integrates within your traditional um electricity grid. that also goes for battery storage, renewables. So the entire sort of talent pool for several of these key sectors is really changing rapidly, and it's trying you know it's really inspiring, encouraging to see this labor market change so so quickly.
0: so to that labor market, I mean, there are a lot of folks that listen to this podcast that are, in social impact and environmental impact roles within companies, what do you want them to know, either about the work that you're doing, how they can get involved, or what to be thinking about when they are facing these really large issues?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think one one thing that that stands out um, in terms of a very helpful takeaway or reflection on, on the work of late is how important collaboration has been. To your earlier point, um, the space is evolving and developing so fast. You know, some of these technologies, you know, I can think of as recently as a couple of years ago, you know, a single wind turbine that was maybe, I don't know, six megawatts large was considered really, you know, large and cutting edge and, and, and big and, and, you know, I, I saw something last week where I think it's GE possibly, or GAMESA, one of the large wind turbine manufacturers is working on an offshore wind turbine that's 15 megawatts. I mean, that's just game changing in terms of um, how it'll affect that sector. So there's, there's so much change happening, whether it's with um, batteries for EVs um, or with um, uh, renewable thermal technology. And um, we've seen companies are really looking for collaboration as a way in which they can share ideas, share information, catalyze innovation, both internally across different departments, as you mentioned, but also find opportunities where they can collaborate with other companies within their sector to help them deal with challenges that no single company in a sector can, can surmount individually. So whether it's um, our SEVA program, um, whether it's the, the Climate Pledge, or some of these other sort of um, sectorally focused collaboration um, opportunities. Um, I think collaboration is really the name of the game going forward in terms of ways in which uh, companies are going to catalyze and accelerate decarbonization.
0: Are you hopeful for the future?
1: I am, um, but full disclosure, I, I am an optimist by nature. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I am, I'm, I'm still hopeful I you know I the the window of opportunity as you mentioned so eloquently at the beginning is is shrinking very fast so I'm not naive right like that that horizon is is coming up coming upon us incredibly quickly so I am optimistic I I have seen significant change even in the last 5 years and I've seen how companies leadership corporate leadership um and leadership in government um, and just leadership from um, just just citizens, you know, whether whether we're talking about the the protests that we saw across Europe, led by Greta and others in the past few years or or some of um, the civic action we saw here in the States, that combination of those three um, key portions of society, I think, have really moved um, this issue to the forefront of everyone's agenda in terms of something that's that that we really need to take action on now. And I'm hopeful that if we can continue this momentum in the near future, we can see some real game-changing developments that can help us, you know, reduce emissions and make sure we don't cross that 1.5 degree Celsius threshold. So I'm hopeful, but, you know, the the clock is ticking. So really looking to all of those different sectors of society to, to move ahead very
0: quickly. Well, thank you for that hope and and that call to action. You know, I think a lot of people, including myself, saw that report and said, oh, wow, are we doomed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I think it's we're all well, we're not all, but many of us are, are motivated to do something about it. And also the it it feels overwhelming. So I so appreciate you bringing us behind the scenes to what is really happening the bright spots and the change that is possible and the hope that you have. And just really appreciate you sharing your perspective with our listeners today. Thank you,
1: Danielle. I, um, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you and thanks for inviting me to talk about, you know, some very timely issues and kudos to you and your team for really providing a forum for conversation on all of this. It's incredibly important and um, dialogues like this are are very helpful in terms of furthering action. So uh, heartfelt thanks to you as well.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune into our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.